9. Continuing our verse-by-verse study here through the book of Genesis. We ended the flood last week, so we're continuing now with what life is like after the flood. Genesis 9 is quite the chapter, to say the least. And don't read ahead, but in verse 18, the story takes a really interesting turn. And that interesting turn in verse 18 really takes us into chapters 10 and 11. So, I don't know how much time we're going to have for sure, depending on questions, comments, etc. The plan tonight is to do verses 1 through 17 of Genesis 9. Then in our next study, pick it up in verse 18, which really is a stepping stone to chapters 10 and 11 there on the Tower of Babel and all the different genealogies that come from Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. You've got to remember here, when the flood ended, it's Noah, his wife, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth, and their three wives. So, therefore, there's eight people. Eight people starting over completely And so what we have here is the whole earth being repopulated. You know, people are really impressed with genealogies. And people like to say, I can go back to so-and-so, I can go back to so-and-so. You guys can all go back to Noah. So that's a fact. You know it. He's in your line somewhere down the road there. So we know from Noah and his three sons, the earth is repopulated. And that's what we're going to pick up starting next week. With that being said, the flood has ended. We ended with them getting off the ark, starting up with altars and sacrifices. Now let's see what life is like after the flood. Verse 1 of Genesis chapter 9. Actually, we'll jump back to verse 20 just to review because it's a nice little tie-in to here, 9. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, verse 20 of chapter 8, and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on every, all that move on the earth and on all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So what you see here is this starting over. Verse 9, being fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Eight people starting over again. Now, the first point that we want to make with this, because really what you have as you go through these verses, is there's four things that God is ordaining here in this passage tonight. But before we get to those four things, the first thing we have to talk about this is the proverbial God is a God of second chances. I cannot stress that to you enough. God is a God of second chances. Some of you here tonight are on your second, third, fourth, fifth. We've lost track. But God loves you. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is in Lamentations, where it says that His mercies are new every morning. His mercies are new every morning. Elias had a rough moment. My oldest son had a rough moment here this week, struggling with some stuff. And you know what? I sat him down. He got up in the morning, and he carried that burden all through the night. He's firstborn. He's a warrior. He carried the burden all through the night. Got up the next day, and I said, Elias, His mercies are new every morning. You get to start up in the morning And you can have that clean slate with Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. So, God has got a second chances. He tells Noah and his family, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to destroy the earth again. Does the earth deserve to be destroyed again? Oh, boy, you bet it does. It was awful back then, but come on, it's awful today. God in his grace does not do that. It always amazes me when I run into the world, and the world has this picture of God being angry, And he wants to judge people. No, he's a God of grace and love and mercy. Some of you here tonight, we've had some rough weeks. We've had some rough days. 
We've made some bad choices. We've thought some bad thoughts. We've done some bad actions. And God still forgives us. Beautiful picture of grace and mercy. If you're taking notes, write this down. I love this verse. Book of Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. Micah, chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity, passing over the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Listen to the last half of that. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. If you walked in here tonight with this mindset of God is just perpetually angry with you over choices you have made, over actions you're doing, or over things that you aren't doing. Maybe you're not the strongest believer. Maybe you're not as deep in your faith and walk with Christ as you could. And you're feeling this burden and this attack and this condemnation. God is not angry with you forever. He delights in mercy. Tonight is the night to start afresh. To begin again. Just like after the flood, they got to start over with a clean slate. God is a God of second chances. I just started making a list of the Bible, of just second chances in the Bible. Woman caught in adultery. Deserved to be stoned. Go and sin no more. David, he had an affair. He killed the husband. God gave him a second chance there. We can just go on and on and on. Paul used to round up Christians and have them killed. His mercies are new every morning. I love what David wrote in Psalm 51 after his affair with Bathsheba was brought to light. He used words like this, Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore the joy of my salvation. This idea of renewing and restoring, starting over again. Oh, what a beautiful picture. So when we see Genesis 9, this first half, this is a wonderful picture of God's grace and mercy and saying, I'm not going to judge the world again like I just did now. We're going to start afresh. So what's he going to do differently? Verse 2, we talked about the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast. It changes. We've mentioned this before if you haven't been with us here in our earlier studies in the book of Genesis. Before the flood happened, what we can piece together in the Bible is that man and animals got along. Got along wonderfully. You know, one of the things we saw with the ark is how God brought the animals to Noah. They were on this ark. If you remember our study from the last couple weeks, they were on the ark for over 370 days, over a year together. There was no fear, no concern, whatever. One of the things that happens after the flood is now we have this fear between man and animal. Animals are the wildness that's going to be going on now. That's one of the things that change. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8. The whole creation is under the curse. What we see now in nature is not what God originally intended. Anytime we have storms like we just had, and you see all that destruction out west. You know, some of you know Alan Wright that uh, runs a soundboard out here on Sundays. He uh, is an electrician. He was sent out west to do the storms. He was texting me today some of the pictures of some of the stuff he's working with. And there's nothing. I mean, there's just absolutely nothing. Now, is that God's original plan? Of course not. God's original plan for us to be in the Garden of Eden. It was not God's original plan to have these hurricanes and tornadoes strike and and the earth. That's the creation under the curse. It wasn't God's original plan for us to get stung by bees and get poison ivy. That's the creation being under the curse. What you see here in Genesis 9-2 is part of this curse, this idea of now man and animals and fear and dread, etc. So that's the first thing you see differently. What's the next thing you see differently in verse 3? Men become meat eaters. Before the flood, when we piece this together, it looks like they were only vegetarians. Now, we get to eat the meat. So things have changed. 
What is the Bible trying to tell us there? It's trying to tell us that if you're a vegetarian, you're just wrong. There's no way around that. God, God, I'm just kidding. Um, You're just wrong, though. But anyway, meat eaters, that has changed now. So you're now able to go in and eat that. You see that. With one little caveat, verse 4, you should not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. This is an important point here. This point is a transition to what we're going to talk about next. So the first two things that you see here, first two things that have changed, there's now man and animals, there's this dread, this fear. Number two, man now eats meat, just don't eat it with the blood in it. So, any quick questions, comments on those first two changes that we see post-flood before we get to the rest of it? Ryan. Uh, since the uh, canopy of water or ice has disappeared, and that would have affected ultraviolet radiation coming in, the air pressure would have been increased, and you would probably cause the climate change. That, that would explain why we don't have dinosaurs anymore. Yeah. They, they were killed by the climate change, they could have had that, and it would be, they were hunting for food, and that's why you don't see things like the giant beaver. Right. And I think it's a good point, and we've made this reference numerous times, and Ryan brought it up again, so I just want to reiterate it. This is out Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, where it says, A mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. As we studied back in our earlier studies here in Genesis, the, the climate of the earth was different. This mist was over the earth, and what most people believe, like Ryan mentioned there, this was something that protected mankind. It was a different environment. You know, what we see before the flood, we see people living 900 years. If I remember correctly, Noah lived 950 years. And if you ever want to study this out, it's amazing as you go post-flood, especially after Shem, you see the ages just start to decrease. And by the time we get to Abraham, I think Abraham lived 175 years, if I remember correctly. You just see it changing because the environment has completely changed. So when we talk about what happened to the dinosaurs, boy, I think if you just study out the Bible, you start seeing the environment changed. Things changed when that happened. So some of the animals couldn't adapt to the post-flood world. Or like Ryan mentioned there, there would be a different idea here when it came to hunting of the animals, etc., So often the Bible has more clear answers than what we ever can imagine in these things. So I think it's an important verse and point to memorize with that. Anybody else have anything here before we go on? Kathy. Yeah, women and snakes. Well, and that hasn't changed, you know. Um, There still is a fear there between women and snakes. But yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I shared with you guys the story earlier this year where I got home and there's a skunk outside our house and I ended up getting sprayed, you know, by the skunk. It's not that I tremble in fear of skunks, but I don't go near them. There's a respect when it comes to things along that type of line. I mean, there didn't seem to be that beforehand. And this is one of my things that the boys and I always talk about at home. If you go out and study the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says when we get to the millennial reign of Christ that the curse is not taken away, but the curse is reversed. It talks about a child playing at the hold of the serpent and the child playing with the lion. That you'll be able to go up to these animals and... and Play with them. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Because this idea, this fear, this dread is now lifted and taken away. This is something that changed after the flood. We live in a cursed, fallen world. Anybody else got anything here before these first two points? Jody. Well, there were clean and unclean. Because if you go back to Genesis 7, uh, verse 2, 
He says that you should take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two of each animals that are unclean, a male and his female. And what we've talked about is with the clean animals, verse 20 of Genesis 8, he sacrificed some of those clean animals as his altar to the Lord. And I believe uh, Kathy mentioned in the New Living Translation, it mentions how some of those other clean animals were talk, taken along with the idea of also being food. So there were clean and unclean at this time. Yep. And I think this goes back to a point that we made when we studied out Cain and Abel. Why was Cain's sacrifice rejected and Abel's accepted? How would they have known that? I firmly believe that back during this time, there was an understanding of what God wanted. The clean animals, the unclean animals, you know, bringing the sacrifice of the lamb that Abel did versus Cain bringing the food of the ground. And so this whole clean, unclean, even though it's not specifically stated what's clean and unclean until you get to the law in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there seems to be an understanding at this time of what God has already ordained, of what is clean and considered unclean. So there would have been clean animals they could eat, and there would have been unclean animals that God would have said stay away from. Anything else on these first two points here? Marv. No more pork chops or hamburger. You know, I, I can't answer that. I will say this. Jesus, um, you know, he asked for fish. You know, he wanted to eat that in his post-resurrection body. So for some reason that seemed to be okay with Christ. But I can say off the top of my head, I do not believe there's a verse in the Bible like in Revelation where it says they had barbecued spare ribs. I don't think there is. Um, so, I mean, no, that's 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 a valid... Yeah, that's a valid question. You're, you're going to say, like, here, picky, picky, then kill it. I mean, that's what you're basically saying, right? You're going to say, like, here, picky, picky, pet it, and then kill it. I don't know. See, see what you said. Um, no, I, I mean, I'm going to honestly say we don't know. We can't say for sure. We do know from Isaiah. We do know in Isaiah that that is being lifted. We do know from Ezekiel, and this is a funky thing in Ezekiel, and for some reason we skip over this, they reinstitute sacrifices. That's something that a lot of people have a tendency to look over, is they're actually going to start up the sacrifices again. And people have a problem with that because they start saying, well, the sacrifice, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He is for our sins. But when we restart up the sacrifices in the book of Ezekiel, it's like what we do today with communion. It's a way to look back on what Christ did. So there is going to be the clean thing. It looks like there's going to be the clean thing, the unclean thing. Ezekiel hints that. But... You know, if you go back here to um, Genesis and put it together with Isaiah, there was clean and unclean, and they were around them, but were they not going to eat them? I can't say for sure. I can't tell you that there's a verse in the Bible that says something about eating meat or not eating meat in the, in the kingdom of heaven. I can't. Something about Yeah, that's kind of one of the dividing factors of clean or unclean when you get into the law is what the hoof was like. That kind of was one of the deciding. He's got the whole list there in Genesis of what was considered clean and unclean, and one of them was with the, with the hoof. I do know what heaven talks about us eating of the fruit of the tree of uh, life. And so there seems to be a pitcher, unless that's a, a pitcher, just a fruit per se, but it seems to be a literal tree. If you look in the book of Revelation, there seems to be the literal tree of life whose fruit that we're able to eat of. And we do know at the end of the book of Zechariah that they come to Jerusalem to offer up the feast and sacrifices. Part of the stuff that happened at the feast and sacrifices were this idea of eating the meat. If you look in the book of Leviticus, one of the perks of being a priest was you got to do the sacrifices, but you got the best cut of meat as well. So, I mean, is it going to go back to this idea of you don't eat meat? Well, and the sacrifices, they did eat meat. 
But I can't say that there's a verse per se that says you're going to do this. But one of the side effects of the sacrifices was you could eat meat. So the more I talk about it, now I lean towards we will eat meat in the millennial reign. But my opinion can change on that. So anybody else have anything? Yeah, Steph. No, because in the book of Acts, there's a vision that Peter had. And Peter had a vision in the book of Acts where God showed Peter all the unclean animals and told Peter, arise and eat. And what God was trying to say here in the book of Acts is this whole clean, unclean thing, through, since Christ died on the cross, um, we no longer have to worry about clean or unclean. So we can enjoy pork chops, you know, without any doubt. Which I've shared this story with you before, and I'm going to share it with you again real quick. One of my favorite stories on pork chops is, and if you heard with this story before, just bear with me. There was a, a single mom many years ago out here at church, really struggling with her kids. Church got involved, helped her move, just try to get into her life and really encourage her and help her. And she had a son that was, he was a difficult Son, I mean, just a difficult, difficult young man. She struggled with him. She invited us over to her house. So Don and I went over to eat at her house. And he showed up at the table to eat. And we said, how's it going? And this is one of those families that had no filter. I mean, like, they just said whatever they want to say. So I asked him, how's it going? Well, the mom just rips into him in front of everybody. Well, he wouldn't go to school today. That was a big issue. So I asked him, why wouldn't you go to school? And he said, well, it was the Day of Atonement. I don't have to go to school. I said, oh, you're Jewish. She goes, he's just saying he's Jewish because he knows he gets out of more holidays. That's fine. So I said, you're Jewish. She goes, yeah, I'm Jewish. Why do you want to be Jewish? I don't know, blah, blah, blah. So he's got these reasons. And as he's telling me he's Jewish, what is he eating? Pork chops. Yeah. I said, I don't think you have a clue with what you're doing. So here is this holy Jew that got out of the Day of Atonement, and he was eating pork chops as it happens there. There is no clean... Move on. Okay, the segue is lifeblood, which you see right there in verse 4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is the blood, takes us to verse 5. Surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast I will require it, and from the hand of man, from the hand of every man's brother I will require the life of a man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For the image of God he has made man, and as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Bring forth abundantly into the earth and multiply in it. What you see, a third thing that changes after the flood is the institution here of capital punishment. Is God saying, this is part of the way we're going to deal with this now. Is that when you see people getting out of hand in this area, that now man has the covenant right, if you will, to say... We are going to take this man's life because he took another man's life. This is backed up in the New Testament well in Romans 13. And we're running out of time, so we won't go there. But if you want to check it out, it's Romans 13, verses 3 through 5, where it talks about how the government has been ordained and set up by God, and it is able to be an uh, executioner. And it doesn't mean that way of executioner, but it can execute judgment on behalf of the Lord. And so it's this idea of capital punishment that's first introduced here after the flood and then also reiterated in Romans 13 as well. And that's another, that's the third change that you see here coming out of post-flood. Now, let's move on here real quick where it says in verse 8, Then God spoke to no one to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth, with you all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Here's the key, verse 11. This is the fourth change. Never again 
shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall earth, shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Verse 11, that's the fourth change. God promises this is not going to happen again. And, and I can't remember who talked to me about this last Wednesday after church. I wish I could remember because I would love to give you credit for saying it. But somebody brought up an excellent point last Wednesday after church where they said, can you imagine when Noah got out of the ark the first time that it rained? There would be this mindset of, oh boy, here we go again. So, you know, and I never thought about that. And someone then else made the comment, there was a group of us talking where they said, do you realize how much faith it would take to get off the ark? See, we look at it here and say, oh boy, they've been on the ark for over a year. They'd want to jump off that thing. Maybe they wanted to stay on that thing because they were safe. So getting off the ark was now walking in faith that the Lord says, I'll take care of you. The first time it rained, did they freak out a little bit? I don't know. I think that's a really interesting point because when we went back to Genesis 7, we said, how much faith did it take to get on the ark? Well, how much faith did it take to get off the ark? It's kind of interesting. And we talked about in Genesis 7, um, we kind of encouraged you to say, if you're going through a tough time, maybe the Lord is saying, trust me. Get in the ark and I'll keep you safe. Okay, well now maybe it's flip-flop. Now maybe the Lord is telling you, trust me. Step out of the ark. And I'll keep you safe. No matter where God places you, be it in the ark or out of the ark, He's promising you that will keep you safe. And I think that's a fascinating point. I never thought about it. And the way that He proves this is verse 12. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations, meaning it's still for us today. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and that shall be for the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that's on the earth. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. You know, rainbows are beautiful. There's just no way around that. We kind of got this rainbow rule at our house, and I don't know how it got started. If someone sees a rainbow, we all have to stop what we're doing and go stare at the rainbow. The rainbow rule now has expanded. One of our neighbors are the windsingers that come out here. Anytime there's a rainbow, either we have to contact the windsingers or the windsingers have to contact us. It's a rainbow club. And so they're fascinating. And, you know, and it's from a little kid's perspective, even from an adult perspective, you look outside and generally when the rainbow happens, it's either when the storm is just ending or past. And so there's this dark background. There's this beautiful rainbow, beautiful rainbow that just all of a sudden appears. And I, I, I can't back this up with scriptures. This is my personal opinion. Take it or leave it. I think that first rainbow that God showed Noah is probably the most beautiful one that ever existed. Just this beautiful thing. I've heard some people say, well, you know what? It's quite possible that the rainbow existed before. I don't know. If you look at verse 14, it shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. It almost seems like God is explaining this. You know, and we don't know for sure. We can go back and forth. But either way, it's a sign. It's a sign. And, you know, and so often we, we live in this world today where people want signs. Paul wrote in Corinthians, quit looking for signs. He says, if you want a sign, he says, just you pray with the Holy Spirit in your heart and God will reveal to you what he wants you to do. But we want signs. Well, God says, I'll still give you one sign. Every time you see the rainbow, it's a promise of my faithfulness. So if you want a sign, 
The rainbow is your sign. Every time you see that rainbow in the sky, it's supposed to remind you God's infinite love, grace, mercy. It's a beautiful thing. This world deserves to be judged. This world deserves to be destroyed. He should probably start over again. The rainbow shows us that God is walking in grace and mercy towards us. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of faithfulness. So if you are struggling here tonight and you kind of think that the, uh, your little world is going to be flooded, no, the Bible says that God's going to keep you safe. No matter what trial or tribulation comes your way, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord says he will get you through it. And that rainbow is a sign of that. Now, the rainbow has a double meaning. Now, who's got the good old King James out there? Anybody? Now, Tina, and King, it doesn't say rainbow in King James, does it? This says bow. The word rainbow is not in the Old Testament King James. It's in the New Testament. And this is why. Because the word for rainbow in the King James is the same word for bow, a bow of war. So the rainbow is a sign of faithfulness saying God's grace, love, and mercy. The rainbow is a sign to also say, I've judged the world once and I can do it again. It's a word bow. It's a weapon as well. And it's a fascinating thing. When we look at the rainbow, it's a sign of faithfulness of God will never judge the world again in flood. But it's also a reminder to us, God has judged the world. And according to the book of Peter, God's going to judge the world again, not with a flood, but this time with fire. And I think it's fascinating that he uses the word bow, a weapon, as a reminder that it is also a sign of faithfulness, but it's also a sign that judgment God has done it once, he will do it again. It's, it's an amazing picture here of what the Lord has done. You do see the rainbow in the New Testament and also in the Old Testament a little bit. It's in the book of Ezekiel and Revelation. It's a heavenly sign there that when you see the rainbow, it's always pictured up in heaven. So it's supposed to be a picture of that heavenly realm of the Lord and his grace and mercy there. So what you see here tonight in verses 1 through 17, you see four changes. First change, you can eat meat. Second change, animals and man's relationship is broke down. Third change, capital punishment. Fourth change, or a reminder, I should say, is this rainbow. Putting this all together, those are the applications. But what's the spiritual application? Number one, God's a God of second chances. He he said, Noah, Shem, Ham, Jepeth, repopulate here. And that's what they did. And God has given us second chances. His mercies are new every morning. Micah 7, his anger does not last forever. If you're walking in some type of condemnation tonight where you feel like you have just completely lost everything, God wants to give you mercy. And what a beautiful thing that is. The rainbow at the end here too. A beautiful picture of God's faithfulness. A reminder that no matter what storm you're facing in life right now, Maybe you got a bad marriage. Maybe you got a tough relationship with somebody, problems at work. Maybe it's health issues. I don't know what it is. That rainbow is supposed to be a sign to you of God's everlasting covenant of I am here, I remember you, I love you, and I'm faithful to take care of you. It's a beautiful picture of that. So those are the two spiritual points. Bookend here with those other application points in the middle. Starting at our next lesson in verse 18, we'll get into a little bit of a turn here in Noah's life, which then takes us to chapters 10 and 11 of the genealogies that come out of it. Anybody have any final questions, comments here over anything in Genesis 9 that we covered of the first half of Genesis 9? Yeah, Ron. Well, back in, in 4, it talks about eating raw blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like rare steaks. You like rare steaks. So, should I have well, no, you don't have to cook a steak till it's well done. I mean, if you don't want to go to heaven, that's your choice. But, I mean, 
No, I mean, what, what verse 4 is trying to say here, it, verse 4, if you, if you study this out, it goes with the sacrifices. There's a cross-reference, and off the top of my head, I didn't write it down. I believe it's Leviticus 17. What this is actually saying is when they did the sacrifices that you drain the blood. Because the, it, it, what it is, it's that segue. Because look at verse 5. It's the lifeblood. God is saying that blood represents life. And so the blood needs to come out of the animal to show that the animal is dead. And so if you're eating a steak that's rare, you're not eating the blood. I want to make sure that point comes across. It's supposed to say that this animal is dead, the lifeblood has come out, the blood is God's. It represents life, which ultimately when you jump to the New Testament, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us life. And that's kind of the picture there. So I don't think it's talking about rare steaks. But you're still on thin ice for heaven anyway, so we'll talk about that some other time. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, good to be here this evening. And Lord, um, thank you. Thank you for being a God of second chances, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. When we mess up daily, your mercies are new every morning. Amen and thank you for that. And Lord, thank you for your faithfulness that we know by just seeing that rainbow, it's a sign of you loving us and taking care of us. If there's somebody here tonight going through that storm, Lord, I pray that you would show them your faithfulness, that you're there to help them through it. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in your name. Amen. If we could get some people to help here real quick, we need to clear off the stage and split the chairs uh, for a wedding on Saturday. We'd appreciate it. You guys have a good week, and God bless.